Our passage of scripture today comes from 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. About 11 years ago, there was a book published that's called In the Land of Believers, An Outsider's Extraordinary Journey into the Heart of the Evangelical Church. It is written by a young atheist woman who wanted to see what Christianity was all about. So she faked a conversion to Christianity. She got baptized. She then spent the next two years as a member of an evangelical church in Virginia, where she eventually even joined her singles group on a mission trip. Listening to interviews of her talking about this experience is really odd When I first heard of what she did, I cringed. I figured, oh my goodness, there's only one of two ways this can go, right? One, she sees the worst in everything that is there and she just basically makes fun of Christians and all the funny ways that we do all the things that we do. Or two, she encounters God in a real way and really becomes a Christian in the end. Well, she did not become a follower of Jesus. But what was the most interesting to me about this entire journey that she went on was that she talked about her new friends and the community of the church. And it was the way that she spoke of them that interests me so much, particularly with respect to the passage of scripture that we're looking at today. She said, they seem to have, as I came to appreciate, a kind of bottomless spring that keeps their happiness lush. I started to believe it was perfectly authentic And I wanted some for myself. And she keeps on going. Listen to what she says. What I envied most about Christians was not the God thing. It was having a community gathering each week, a touchstone for people who share values, a safe place to be frank about your life struggles, a place to be reminded of your moral compass, having a place to guard against loneliness, to feel there are others like you. See, she wasn't truly part of this church. Her whole experiment of the faking of a conversion and the entering the waters of baptism and the celebration of communion and joining her church on a mission trip, lying to her friends for years about what she was doing, it's it's actually terrible, but it's also instructive. She said what she envied most, what she wished she had, was this real experience of loving community. See, she envied the community that she saw and all the benefits that she saw, but she missed the whole point. See, if you don't get community, you don't get community like the church without the God thing that she was so quick to dismiss as an atheist. Right? In fact, love for one another in the community is one of the marks that you're really walking with God. She was dismissive of this. What she saw were the horizontal benefits of community which we know are deeply anchored in the vertical relationship we have with God. It's the truth that we see later on in 1 John when John says we love because he first loved us. 
What she experienced was a love and beauty in community, but she missed the fact that the power of that love lies in our relationship with God, that he is with us in our midst. And that's what this passage is showing us today. One of the marks that you're really walking in the light, that you're really walking with Jesus, that you're really in fellowship with God, is the genuine love you have for fellow Christians. Today, we're going to look at it like this. We're going to look at the commandment to love one another. We're going to look at the power to love one another and the warning to love one another. We're going to look at the commandment to love one another, the power to love one another, and the warning to love one another. So first, let's look at the commandment to love one another. This is in verse 7 of chapter 2 in 1 John. It says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. See, John is a good pastor. John says, Beloved, dear friends, Loved by God and loved by me, I am writing to you, he says. I have no new commandment for you, but the reminder of the commandment that you have had since you first encountered the love of God in Christ. It's not a new commandment. It's the old one that I need to remind you of, he's saying. We all kind of lean in and maybe creep forward on the edges of our couch right now as we're watching this, or for those of you who are maximally relaxing, you're maybe sitting up in bed a little bit off the mattress and to lean a little bit up against the headboard of your bed. What is this new commandment, John? Tell us. What is the old commandment that they have to remember? See, for them, the old commandment they needed to be reminded of is the commandment that marks the entirety of the letter of 1 John. It's the commandment of Jesus to love one another. It comes from John's gospel in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. He says, this is Jesus. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And you say, hang on a second. Didn't, didn't John say it wasn't a new commandment, that it was an old commandment that they'd already received, and now Jesus is calling it a new commandment? What is he talking about? Well, let me, let me set the scene for you. It's the night before Jesus is going to be crucified. He's just finished a very significant meal with his 12 disciples. He's just taken off his outer garment, and he's put upon himself the servant's towel. He's now wrapped in the servant's towel. He takes the wash basin, and he fills it with water, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. He says, you call me Lord and teacher, and you're right. And if I, as your Lord and teacher, do this, then you should do this for one another. And John, who's writing this letter, is there with Jesus when he says it. He had his feet washed by Jesus. You've got to think in hindsight, knowing now, after the fact, that Jesus was about to be betrayed by one of his own. He was going to be tried and condemned by the religious leaders and the political leaders. He was going to be crucified. You've got to think that this moment, how deeply etched it is in the psyche of John, in his mind and heart, that he has taken to heart the message and example of Jesus in his teaching here. It's the moment where Jesus gives his inner circle a new commandment to love one another. And it's not entirely a new commandment. It's based on the entirety of the Old Testament. But Jesus sums it up for them. It says, a new commandment I give to you, 
that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And John's reminding these Christians what they have heard from the beginning of their walk with Jesus as well. John's probably writing this letter about 50 years after Jesus gave that commandment to his disciples on the night before he was crucified. That means it's not new to them. It's not a new commandment. They've had it since they first believed the gospel, but it is a reminder of what they've been hearing for many words. Again, verse 7 says, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've heard from the beginning, that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Okay, 50 years before this, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And John is saying the way that the world knows who you are, that you are disciples of Jesus, that you have had a life-transforming encounter with the crucified and risen Jesus. The way that people will know this is if you have love for one another, fellow Christians. You say, what kind of love is this? Well, Jesus said, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. The love that Jesus modeled in the night that he gave this commandment was a servant-hearted, humble love, a love that leads him to a sacrificial death in our place. It's not a love that remains in the past, though, as some mere illustration of what it looks like to love. It's a love that's supposed to be embodied and emulated within the community of Jesus' followers. It's an active love that marks the church of Jesus in such a profound way that it becomes evidence to people like Gina Welch that these people love differently. Let me show you because we have now seen the commandment to love one another, but secondly, we must see the power to love one another. Where does that power come from? Again, chapter 2, verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. John says it's not a new commandment, but a reminder of the old commandment from Jesus. But at the same time, it is a new commandment, and it will always be a new commandment to you in a sense, because the fresh power to love one another in an ongoing way comes from the living Jesus, the true light who is already shining in the world. It's new because the situation and circumstances around your life are different. You need to be mindful of the old command and apply it in a new context. It's a new application of the old commandment to love one another just as Christ has loved you. Just look at verse 8 again because I really want us to see this. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him, in Jesus, and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Hey, something has happened to the darkness of the world. The true light has come. John's playing off this contrast of the ideas of light and dark. And what he's saying here is that since the arrival and the death and the burial and the the, the, the crucifixion and death and burial of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, since all of that has come together, something has shifted in the world. If we're walking with him in the light, it means we're not living in the darkness anymore. 
Christ said, the darkness is passing away, but the true light is already shining. That means we're living in a new age. This is the age where the light breaks in. And because Jesus, the true light, is it's already broken in through the darkness. And because Jesus, the true light, with his love, has pierced the darkness in a profound way, that means every waking moment of our lives is an opportunity to apply the old commandment in new and fresh ways. See, the power to apply the old commandment in new ways comes from the quality of love that Jesus loves us with. The power to apply the old commandment in new ways comes from the reality that Christ is alive and in our midst, loving us to the end and empowering us to obey. John is saying a couple really important things here. He's saying, number one, Jesus calls us to obey his command to love one another for sure. But he also says Jesus always empowers us to obey any command that he issues. God never calls us to obey something that we can't do. He always gives us power to obey. That's why the church is supposed to feel different. It's why those outside the church sometimes notice it, and in a sense, I think they long for it. Right? We love because he first loved us. That's it. That's the message. We can love because we have been loved. That's why this kind of love is impossible to manufacture in our own strength. You cannot do this on your own, apart from the empowerment of God's Spirit at work in you. As a recipient of that love, that love now issues from you in a profound way toward one another. If you're not in the light, you can't love like this. Let me explain it from a contrasting angle. Um, Gina Welch is not the only person looking for a loving community like the church. Um, in the last decade, we've actually seen, and it's well chronicled online, the rise and fall of what were called atheist churches. They were a group of people united together by their non-belief, who, who try to manufacture some semblance of what the Church of Jesus looks like and some of the horizontal effects of what that kind of community can be. But in the end, it proved too difficult for them, and they just started to decline and fizzle out. And you ask the question, Why? Why can't you form a community around an idea like that that is loving and caring? Why not? Well, they lacked any real power to sort out their problems. They couldn't build anything because building a community requires sacrificing time and, and convenience. And this is just not something they, these people deemed worthy of their sacrificial commitment. They weren't gathered around humble, sacrificial love. They were gathered around the light. They, they, they weren't gathered around the light that's pushing back the darkness. They, they, they were gathered around a vision of humanity that denies the existence of God. There's no power in that. You're on your own. <laughs> Further to that, like every community in the existence of uh, all humanity, forever and ever, amen, like every community, they had problems. There was no way they could settle disputes. They found their non-belief was not really a sustaining center of power for their community and what they were trying to accomplish. They could not reconcile their differences. They had divisions and they split off in little factions and they didn't have a power to love each other. Okay, without the true life of Jesus that we've been talking about in 1 John, there's no unifying power of how to exist as a diverse and loving community. See, the commandment to love one another... 
right? Where Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another, leads us to understand the power that we need to accomplish that, the power to love one another, right? We're walking in the light. We're united by something that is infinitely stronger than anything that could ever divide us. We're united by the power of Christ at work in us. The light breaking into the darkness, ushering in a new existence of the resurrection life, the new life that we have in Christ. There's something happening where the light has come and is pushing back the darkness, yes. But third, what about the warning to love one another? The warning to love one another. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at verses 9 through 11. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Okay, I told you John is a good pastor. Right? Last week, we looked at the text where he says, my little children. This week, he says, beloved, dear friends. Right? But John's a good pastor. He's not looking for lip service to the commands of Jesus. He doesn't say whoever says he loves his brother must be living in the light. He says whoever loves his brother is living in the light. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. He's looking for action. It's the act of love that emulates Jesus' example that is proof a Christian is really a Christian. Doesn't say Christians are going to get along all the time and never have disputes which is hilarious for any of you who follow Jesus for any length of time. We have disputes. We have questions. We have problems. We sin against one another. We are sinned against. We have issues in our community, no doubt. It doesn't say Christians are going to get along all the time. It says a person who hates his brother or sister is still walking in the darkness because of the reality that once you have encountered the transforming love of God and you've experienced that undeserving love of Jesus toward you, which is what brings you into the light in the first place, then you won't be able to have a sustained attitude of hate that repudiates the other person. You can't live with that kind of hatred toward one another. So on one hand, John is warning us, he's saying that the ongoing hatred of someone might mean you've never encountered the radical love of Jesus. Maybe you think you have. Maybe you haven't. On the other hand, John is reminding us that the new application of the old command to love one another is also a call to reconciliation. And Jesus gives us the power to reconcile. The reconciling power of forgiveness is deeply embedded in the Christian community. One commentator said the test of obedience to the command to love surfaces when we come to terms with those whom we have difficulty loving. The command to love is a command to work at relationships that have gone wrong. This is why the atheist church doesn't work. There is no common ground for reconciliation apart from the cross. This is why Gina Welch is so compelled by what she observes in Christian community. It's the most loving vision of community she'd experienced. See, there's no power to reconcile relationships apart from Christ. When Jesus commands us to love one another, he also provides us the means to do it. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also 
are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. So Christ City, how have we been loved? Jesus washes feet and atones for sin. He's a servant and a substitute. He models humble love and he dies to redeem us from our sin, to purchase for us forgiveness. See, the gospel is the power for our reconciliation to God on that vertical plane. But it's also the power for the reconciliation that we have between one another. Built into the fabric of what it means to be a Christian is to be one who has been forgiven much. And that translates into the way that we love one another through our own extension of forgiveness and our own desire for reconciliation. In Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And Jesus is saying something profound here. When you've been forgiven much through the way that Christ loved you and gave himself for you, then you can forgive and love as well. When you have received forgiveness, now you are free to be a person who lovingly extends forgiveness on the same basis that you received it. See, if Christ's sacrificial atonement in your place is enough for your salvation and your reconciliation to God, it is certainly enough for you to forgive the sin of your brother or sister in Christ. And if you won't forgive, John is saying, maybe you've never encountered forgiveness. See, John is saying, if you aren't loving, maybe you've never encountered Jesus' love. This is the power of love at work in the Christian community. And it's difficult. It's so difficult. The warning that John is giving us in this text says that if we, con- if we continue in divisive hate, not in reconciling love, there is a chance that we may not have stepped into the light. That's a hard word to hear. It's a bunch of nice, gentle Vancouver followers of Jesus. But it's true. Tim Keller said, on both a theological and a practical level, forgiveness is at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. True forgiveness comes at a cost and is pursued intentionally within a community of believers. It comes at a cost, but that cost was taken care of by Jesus. He has made a way for our vertical reconciliation to God and for our harmonious love among one another and the extension of forgiveness to one another in our community. So there's no room for hatred. This is really the focus of the commandment to love one another. It all displays the power to love one another, and it all comes with the warning to love one another. It's all wrapped in one. And I hear you. You sit there and go, man, I thought this church was all about making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. This all sounds like internal conversation kind of things to me. How are we ever going to be able to get out there and love our literal neighbors if all we're doing is trying to reconcile differences inside the church and making sure that we're all okay with one another? I have a mission to accomplish. I got people to reach. I got things to do. I don't have time for all this reconciliation kind of work. I would just say, think you're wrong. I think you're wrong. Jesus says the way we love one another is a mark that we are his and that he is who he says he is. 
And that love for one another is a powerful sign, actually, to the neighborhood who's watching us. See, we might have all the right answers to all the right questions that are being asked about the nature and character of God and what salvation means and why the Bible is important to us. We might have all of the right answers for that. Even talking about the love of God, we can do that. But without the community to to prove the authenticity of the love of God, what are they supposed to say? Right? Too often we come across as people with a particular worldview, something that we intellectually hold. It's not something we live and practice. And intellectual worldviews are easy to dismiss. You just say, I disagree. But I'm telling people, telling you, as you walk with people and you show them what it looks like to give and receive love because you have received love from Christ, it's a game changer. It's not enough to have the right ideas if we don't have the community that goes with it. I think no one ever spoke better of this than Francis Schaeffer did. Years ago, he wrote this. He said, Yet without true Christians loving one another, Christ says the world cannot be expected to listen, even when we give proper answers. Let us be careful indeed to spend a lifetime studying to give honest answers. For years, the Orthodox Evangelical Church has done this very poorly. So it is good to spend time learning to answer the questions of men and women who are around us. But after we have done our best to communicate to a lost world, Still, we must never forget that the final apologetic which Jesus gives is the observable love of true Christians for true Christians. He wrote this on the heels of John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. The new commandment of Jesus that is the old commandment to us as his people, the commandment that we heard from the very beginning, that we're called to love one another in the same way as Christ has loved us. You know, having all the right answers to all the right questions and having worldview kind of debates is all good. There's a woman named Rosaria Butterfield, and some of you may know that name. She was an English professor. She had grown up in a liberal Catholic environment but didn't have much faith. She was an outspoken lesbian and a champion for LGBT rights on her campus where she taught. And she was actually writing a piece to combat what would be understood in the United States as the religious right. She was writing something to refute their beliefs, and in her research, she was introduced to a pastor. And that pastor and his wife just loved her. They had her at their table. They ate dinner with her. They cared for her. And you know what was the overcoming element to her doubts and issues? It wasn't that they always had all the right answers, and it wasn't that they could explain everything. It was the way that she was loved by them. It was the way that she observed their love for their church. She recognized that there was something different here. Christ City, this is it. This is it. We have been loved, therefore now we love. This is the way. The old commandment to love one another like Jesus has loved us, applied in new ways to our new circumstances that are ever-changing, empowered by the gospel of reconciliation and forgiveness, evidenced in the way that we show this love internally in the church as a sign to the world that we are walking in the light. What if I said to you that the most attractive thing about our church is the way that we love one another? If you've got differences to reconcile, can I beg you to try? The cross of Jesus is sufficient for your forgiveness 
it certainly is sufficient for your forgiveness to be extended to another. Let's live this out. Let's model the sacrificial love of Jesus, the humble love that prefers the other. If you're getting ready to celebrate communion with your house church, wonderful. What a beautiful picture we have of the sacrificial love of Christ right in our hands as we take hold of the bread and the wine. The bread points us to the body of Jesus that was broken in our place on the cross as he died for our sins. The cup, the wine or the juice points us to the reality that Christ's blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. So we embrace the truth that we are sinners in need of reconciliation with God and unable in our own strength to love one another. But Christ's love is sufficient. So I just want to say, as you get ready to celebrate communion, repent of your sin. You might need to call someone right now and say, would you forgive me for holding this grudge for so long? You might need to lean into this. Somebody might be asking you for forgiveness and you maybe have withheld it. I'm just telling you, don't take communion until you sorted it out. It's too much at stake for us to be living in disunity, divisiveness, and hatred. And there's so much to be gained by allowing the cross of Jesus to do the work, to carry the weight of all of our sin and shame, and even give us the power to reconcile our differences with one another. Let me pray. Father, you are so good to us. I just know, God, before I met you, I was full of hatred. I was unforgiving. I held on to everything. I internalized it like that person who thinks that unforgiveness is going to somehow poison the other person. No. I needed to realize how lost I was, and you brought me home. You gave me your spirit. You filled me with love. And God, I know that I don't do it perfectly, and so I pray you'd help. Lord, would you guide us as a community into love for one another that would be such a compelling vision to the neighborhood around us that it would be just irresistible to not want to check it out. Help us to do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.